What's going on, everybody? We're back for the Real Bodybuilding Podcast, episode number 47, and I am with a longtime friend and extremely smart individual, Mr. Justin Harris. How are you, sir? Good. How you doing? Uh, Justin's been around for a really long time. A lot of you know him from his extremely heavy lifting that he's done with Steve Kuklo, some on his own, I've seen all the videos, uh, the DC training, but mostly for his uh, coaching. You've coached a lot of people. I mean, one of the people that you coached to pro card was Luke Sandow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure you trained other IFBB pros. So that's kind of your your thing now is your main your main thing in life right now is coaching. Yes, yes, it is. It was for a while. I've done a bunch of kind of side projects over the years, but it was for a while. I took a little break, and in the last five years or so, it's been coaching again. So the reason people aren't, aren't going to really know why I was saying it that way, but um, – you also have a physics engineering degree. Is that is that the way you say that? Or uh, well, my, I, I worked as an engineer. My, my degree is in physics. Uh, experimental atomic physics was my master's, uh, but I never really worked in physics. I worked as an engineer, uh, uh, mostly computer programming, uh, some testing controls engineering. But. How do you go from that to? I mean, I know you love bodybuilding, but why would you leave that to coach clients? Uh, I, I, well, I, the money in coaching is better than people think probably, for one, <laughs> but uh, I just, uh, I, I just really prefer, I, I, right now I prefer having my own business. It's, uh, I, I really love engineering uh, and I got to do some really cool things and I worked for a pure R&D company, so it was only research, it was really cool stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to be there at 7 a.m., yeah, uh, you know, you, you work, travel. The biggest thing was I was I started to travel a lot. I was uh, I I had the I ran the uh, up. This will be boring, but the for the uh, heavy duty truck transmissions we did, you have to download the software. You know, there's a computer on the transmission, just like there is on the engine. Yeah. And I wrote the code that uh, that would tell the transmission which software to download throughout the world. And so I'd have to travel to Brazil or China or Mexico or wherever to make sure when we when we run a new line through a plant and make sure everything worked. And it was really it was really putting a drain on my bodybuilding, I guess. And I, I've always kind of joked that if uh, when people say, you know, I can't eat at my work, or I, you know, my job's hard with bodybuilding, I always said, well, if work ever got in the way of my bodybuilding, I just quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> so how does – it doesn't sound like bodybuilding makes – the coaching would make more money than what you just told me you were doing. I mean, that sounds pretty insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have a really – I have a good client list. I mean, I don't think my price is outrageous, but uh, – it's really not just coaching. It's that if you work for yourself, uh, you know, yeah. when, when you when you work for somebody, they have to make a profit off you. Whatever they're paying you per hour or salary, they have to be making more than that off you. Yeah. Well, if you work for yourself, you're not you're the one making more off you. You know, so yeah. you're always if you're willing to put in the work. You know, eight hours of hard work every day for yourself is going to be more productive than eight hours of hard work for someone else, and they pay you a salary for it. It just yeah. always is going to be that way. Yeah, I, you know what? It's funny you said that because a lot of people have, say, "Oh, I'm having trouble coaching. I'm having trouble getting clients. I'm having this and that." And I, you never, I never thought of it the way you said it like that is actually sitting down for eight hours yeah, and either cre creating a marketing plan or creating strategies to mm -hmm. get clients or any of those things is a would be very fruitful. But the other thing is you have a you have a family, correct? Correct. Four I'm, four daughters and a wife. Yep. So traveling probably had to be held. That, that was really the, that was the big thing. It just wasn't. I, they're young, you know, missing a week with a four-year-old is like missing a year with a 15-year-old. And it was just, it just wasn't, I love the job, but it just wasn't worth it anymore. Um, so the, the main question I want to ask you is, 
you had a crazy, crazy physique and you were training probably harder than most pros I've ever seen. What happened to bodybuilding and why didn't you take it like as far as you could? I, I, I knew it was going to come up. I don't really have an answer. I don't know, to be honest. Uh, part of it was, uh, I, I don't, well, I was training with Steve Kuklo and it, it was, I was still beating him. You know, I can always say he never beat me in a contest, but I was competing against him when he was 19, you know, but yeah. it became pretty obvious that he had better genetics than me. Yeah. Uh, it seemed that way. It, things were happening quicker for him more easily, you know? Uh, and, and so it was kind of not that I didn't have the genetics. It was more kind of the things I was going to need to do would compromise my health potentially in some level. And I had young kids and I just kind of had like a little almost early midlife crisis. And I thought I need to find another pathway. You know, I'll put the same dedication and devotion into this. I'll, you know, it, it, the, the big thing with bodybuilding, I think the only one that's really ever pushed it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. If you really put that's, you know, the amount of work we put into bodybuilding, if you put that into anything else, you're going to yeah. be wildly successful. And so yeah. I thought, well, let me try that. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I've never really been into math. Uh, and so I, I wanted to learn math. And then I started learning math. And I like physics. I wanted to do applied math. And then it just kind of snowballed. And then uh, wait a minute, I got, wait a minute, you decided you want to learn math at what age? 29. <laughs> <laughs> How does that happen? Nobody, nobody learns uh, I'll, I'll math. I'll tell you, actually, I, re I read a book called Probability One, which was really interesting. And it was kind of a, not really a physics book, but it was kind of based, it was the probability of life on other planets based on building a probability equation based on just the number of potential planets in the universe. Yeah. It was a really interesting book, but there was some math in it that I didn't understand. So that's kind of where it started. And I thought, you know, I'll try to try to learn some math. And it just, it's, you know, with bodybuilding, I think bodybuilders will really, really understand this. Maybe not understand why I chose math, but understand that obsession. When you just yeah. get obsessed in something like you did with bodybuilding or you do your first contest, it just, once it takes hold, you can't help it. It just, you're obsessed with it. And then, and then it snowballed into it. I started, started taking classes. I didn't have an under, my undergrad is in exercise science, kinesiology. So I didn't have an undergrad in physics, but I was taking some physics and math classes. Then I took a graduate math class and then a couple graduate physics classes. I talked to the graduate advisor, you know, and I, I didn't have the degree and he said, well, you know, take the graduate entrance exam. If you do well enough, you know, maybe we can get you in. I did that and I did well enough. So I got accepted to the graduate program. And it was a PhD program and I got a couple of years in and I, I realized I didn't want to do it. It wasn't, it was no longer my obsession, but the problem was now I'm multiple years in, I don't have an undergraduate degree in physics. Yeah. I don't want to waste three years at this point. So I had to write it out. I wrote it out to the point where I could get a, I could apply for my master's degree. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I did. And, and then I never worked in physics. That I, I knew I didn't want to work in physics. Physics is really a teaching degree. I didn't really want to teach. Uh, and so then I, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I saw a really cool test engineering position, which test engineering is uh, a kind of a mix. You know, sometimes you're even cranking a wrench. Sometimes you're writing computer programs. You're, you know, you're doing all kinds of test, testing equipment, blowing things up. And I thought that would be really cool. I applied, got it. And then that, that snowballed into, I went into reliability, then back to a senior test engineer and then a lead testing controls engineer. It was kind of, I was moving up quick. Yeah. And it was, that was exciting, even though it wasn't my dream really anymore, but it, you know, progress is always exciting. And then, like I said, I had them another kind of one of those crisis moments where I was traveling all over. I was actually in Brazil and it was beautiful. I was in Sao Paulo there for like 10 days. You know, I haven't seen my family. You know, there's no gyms. I, I don't, you know, I'm at the plant 12 hours a day. Yeah. And I just thought, this is it. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to plan my exit strategy to go back to coaching full-time. Because I actually had been coaching full-time before yeah. all of that stuff. So so you had your, you already kind of had your way out. You just figured yeah. you put all your effort into that. Yeah. And so I just had, uh, so I gave myself, that was, 
October, I think, and I gave myself, uh, I wanted, I had to have a certain amount of money prepared, a certain number of clients and everything by the end of the year. And when I hit that, I, I gave them, I told them I gave them a month. Yeah. So I left January 31st. Wow. So your specialty in coaching, I mean, obviously you do everything, but your specialty is nutrition. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of, I've had uh, a few very interesting uh, intellectual coaches on recently, Lane Norton. I had Dr. Dean on. Um, I had uh, Joe Bennett, who's more into the training side of things than nutrition. But um, so a lot of, a lot of things have been tossed around. Now, I thought I heard a video somewhere where you discussed that being too heavy in the off season will limit the amount of growth that you can actually gain. Is that being too fat? Yeah. And, and, and it will, uh, and I'll give, I'll explain like the science and I'll give kind of an analogy above about 12% of body fat, the human male just becomes less anabolic. What happens is as you, as you have higher levels of body fat, your rates of aromatization increase. So the amount, so the testosterone you do have is more likely to get converted to estrogen. And then even worse than that, your rates of testosterone production are decreased. Now for bodybuilding, that's probably not so important because we're, you know, supplementing with exogenous testosterone, but we're still getting a higher rate of aromatization. Yeah. So if you're, if, if your test is less effective and your estrogen's higher, you're, you're going to grow less. Even, and then even worse, your insulin sensitivity decreases. So you're taking carbs up, you know, less. Uh, and so just your, your the in total uh, environment for growth starts reducing rapidly above about 12% body fat. And really the optimal range for males is roughly 6 to 12% body fat if you're enhanced, 8 to 12% if you're not enhanced. Six to twelve is that yeah. is the best rate for growth? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking caliper twelve percent. I hate to give a number, you know, because because you, no matter what number you say, people online are going to disagree with the number. I'm talking not. I'm talking like the classic. You have abs at ten percent, yeah. eight to ten percent body fat. Yeah. If you have zero, the the way I tell people to do it is, you know, when you're lean enough, when you're in prep, and you can tell when you're watery and not watery. And and at some point in the off season, you can get so fat you don't really notice that watery difference day to day. Yeah, once yeah, you, yeah. Once you can't tell when you're watery or not watery or flat or not flat, you're too fat. That's my, actually. My so I'm too fat. I'm too fat. <laughs> you always say that. You always have abs. <laughs> you always talk about being fat in the off season. Every off season, pick a scene of you. You got a full set of abs and chest triations. Yeah. No, well, uh, give a, to, to make this make more sense, if people don't don't believe this, you've seen this your whole life. Everyone, what you know, you can picture back to your early twenties, and you, everyone had a fat friend or someone they knew that was really overweight who had cle he'd clearly gone through puberty. Yeah. But he didn't have much of a beard, you know, maybe some, some hair in his neck, not a full beard, no chest hair, you know, and kind of, you know, like, you know, titties basically, uh, no, not a lot of arm hair, not a lot of chest hair, not a lot of facial hair. And that's, that's the case. While he was going through puberty, his body fat was so high that his testosterone production was decreased, which he, so he didn't get the, you know, the male uh, hair growth, the facial hair growth, the chest hair growth, and he got some of the estrogenic side effects, like, you know, mm -hmm. increased chest fat and things mm -hmm. like that. And so we've all seen this. It makes perfect sense if you look at people. That's an extreme case of someone probably 30% body fat, but all that stuff starts happening once you start losing your abs, basically. So let me ask you this then, to, so you can break it down a little further. Because I always tell people, like, eat big to get big, right? But I usually oh, tell yeah, people, yeah. like, I tell people don't get sloppy. Like, yeah, yeah. But I think 6% or 8% is like, I would never advise, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying I'm right, but I would never advise somebody to stay that lean in the off season. Now going I back- I wouldn't either. I, I, I want to make sure I clarify this. You start your offseason after a contest prep. Yeah. So I'm saying you can build up to 12%. Once okay, you yeah. get above 12%, you're, you're going to start reducing the rate of growth. Okay. That, okay. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying so that's part of why it's so good to compete as a bodybuilder because your offseason, you get that. I would say, you know, imagine how much muscle you could gain if you could gain 20 pounds of fat and still not be fat. 
Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I got you. So it's kind of so, that, that thought. Let me ask you this scenario, though. So say you say after 12% or I'm just throwing that number out there. Let's just use that as a hypothetical because I know you said like, you're right. Some people are going to say, oh, it's 13 or 15 or whatever. Yeah. Let's just use the 12% number. You say your, your aromatization goes up and your test levels start to go down. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we're injecting, well, for those people that are enhanced, mm-hmm. not everybody, not everybody listening is enhanced. But for those people that are enhanced, um, you're injecting testosterone anyway. So it doesn't matter if you're natural testosterone has gone down and I know you say your aromatization has gone up, but we're also probably going to take something like a Novodex or aromasin or something like that. Yeah. But would you want to take more than you have to, but, and that, and that, but that's only half the equation. We're we're also talking insulin sensitivity, you Mm. know, and now, so your insulin sensitivity decreases and you can, now you can, you can mitigate that also by taking, you know, metformin or berberine or something like that. But, but those, even though I believe it's very, very minor, those act through the cyclic AMP just the way ibuprofen or, or NSAIDs work to inhibit muscle growth. You know, muscle growth is actually an inflammatory process. And these, those um, metformin and berberine and things that improve insulin sensitivity work through kind of the reverse of that, which actually will, will reduce the rates of muscle protein synthesis. Okay, wait, wait. I need, you to, I need you to break that down a little bit because I have a friend who's like really uh, adamant about the use of metformin. So you're saying the use of metformin does what in our body? And for those of you who don't know, metformin is used to increase natural insulin, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It acts on cyclic AMP in the same way that ibuprofen. If anyone's ever read the studies, you know, they talk about, oh, you know, ibuprofen can reduce the rate of muscle growth. Muscle growth is, is an inflammatory process. Yeah. So there, but there's lots of things that reduce the rate of muscle growth. Omega-3 fatty acids reduce the rate of muscle growth. You know, they're an anti-inflammatory fatty acid. Arachidonic acid, which is an inflammatory omega-6 fatty acid, increases the rate of muscle growth. I'm saying all these things with the caveat that if you are supplementing with, with stuff, all that stuff's going to trump, you know, like metformin can slow growth, but if you're on steroids, it's not going to, it's not going to slow it over. You're not going to overpower the steroids, you know? Okay. So, okay. you know, and of course everyone knows many huge, huge bodybuilders who use metformin and ibuprofen and are still 300 pounds lean, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying, uh, I'm saying. I think we're getting caught on the 12% because I, you, I would say I've never seen you in a picture above 12% body fat of what I'm talking about. I don't, I've seen I don't, at least an outline of abs in the off season. I don't post the, I don't post the fat ones. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think, and I th- just think if you, uh, this is, it's not a, it's not a hill I'm going to die, willing to die on. I mean, the data is the data, the science is the science and rates of aromatization increases, body fat goes up, insulin sensitivity decreases. We, we have tools that we can work against that. But I will say that uh, if you just break it down and look at, let's say, remove the science, let's look at what's going on in the world. You see lots of pro bodybuilders. They look like bodybuilders all year. You see yeah. lots of fat 240 pound guys wanting to be bodybuilders at 25% body fat, thinking they're going to continue to bulk up into a pro bodybuilder, and they never do. Yeah. That's basically what I'm saying. You won't find fat pro bodybuilders. You'll find very watery. I mean, even Lee Priest, when he was at his max, you know, there's a picture of him posing in a tank top at just, you know, 275 pounds at, you know, three foot eight, and he's balloony and round, yeah. but he's not fat. He still looks like a bodybuilder. My, my biggest thing with this, I just want to make sure I see so many young guys get hung up on the scale. Uh, yeah. You know, it's so like, you, I always say Ronnie Coleman won his first Olympia at like 245 pounds, but yet you yeah. have every gym rat thinking he's going to be 245 pounds at his first contest. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. The blow, you, blowing up and gaining fat to where you have no abs, you have a gut hanging over your stomach. You have, we, we, you might have 20 inch arms, but they're just a block. They're not, you know, they don't look like a bodybuilder's arms. 
that, that's kind of what I'm saying. You get to that level of fatness and rates of growth just really do slow down. Okay. So I, I do agree with you because I have, I had one off season where I was like, I think it was earlier on in my career. And I remember getting fatter and I felt like all I got was fatter. And, yeah. and when I, and I actually lost, and I think other people, people that listen to the podcast have heard this before, but I lost 80 pounds for that prep. And that was the off season where I was just, I think I was doing what, and it was my second or third year of bodybuilding. And I did what you said. I was young. I didn't know better. And I just was looking at the scale and I kept stuff in my face. So I guess I, I, I do agree with you um, to obviously to a certain degree that you should not get sloppy fat and just focus on the scale. But how do we, okay, so let's break it down further. How does somebody like when I talk to James Hollingshed, right? He's mm-hmm. like, I'm eating 6,000 calories a day yep. and he's lean. Yeah. Obviously, it's because he's seasoned and he's been training for a long time and all, and he's got using, a ton of muscle. And he's yeah. got a ton of muscle and he's enhanced. What does a young kid do who doesn't have a ton of muscle but is being told, look, you got to eat? Because I, I tell people, you got to eat. So, so do I. And every, anyone who's had, ever had one of my diets, they, they, they brag about how much they eat and they quit bragging real quick once they see my off-season plan. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys I'm working with right now, Ben Pollock, uh, who's, he's eating around 6,000 calories a day right now as well. And he's got striated glutes. The thing is, you, you do need to eat, but it's, you need to eat the right things. And that's the, that's the bodybuilding diet. It's not just eating food. There's, there's certain foods that are almost self-regulating in creating a bodybuilder. Now, if you're eating lean meats for protein, complex carbohydrates like rice and protein, and, and good fats like, like oils, uh, avocado, maybe some peanut butter, it's almost self, self-regulating. Now, you could, now, eating chicken and rice, you can eat chicken and rice. You can basically tell someone, eat chicken and rice until you puke and then add two more meals on top of it. And they're only going to get more muscular and they're not going to get fat. They're just, it, the, the, the calories are good calories. It's, you know, good, complete proteins, good complex carbohydrates. And it's almost self-limiting in the fact that the, the food volume is so, so large and the calorie density is relatively low enough that you can't eat it to the point of getting over fat. Yeah. And you have, because the meals will be so big, there's, you have to break out the meals. All, you, ha- you can't eat, you know, it's easy to eat 2,000 calories if you're eating a large pizza. Yeah. Eating 2,000 calories of chicken and rice is going to take a couple meals. So you break it into 2,000 calorie meals. And so, so then you can eat six meals of those 1,000 calorie meals, and that's 6,000 calories a day, which is the same as eating three whole large pizzas. Yeah. But your body composition is going to be entirely different from eating 6,000 calorie chicken and rice meals versus, versus 6,000 calorie, 2,000 calorie, or whatever. Eating three meals of a whole large a pizza. pizza. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but, okay, so when I was uh... – you know, when me and Luke used to talk about diets, we used to kind of have the same philosophy, which was we'd set up our base, which was, you know, 4,000, 5,000 calories, somewhere in there. And then if we were hungry on top of that, we would be, we would snack in between meals or at the end of the night, we'd have something kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. Is that counterproductive? Like, should we be, what I'm trying to say is this, if you talk to Patrick Tour, Patrick Tour will tell you no amount of garbage is should be in a diet it should be all purely clean food and if you talk to like you know luke or me or a lot of different you know i mean chad used to be like this too if you have your base and you want to eat whatever you want on top of it if you're hungry it's okay in the off season as long as you're not getting super fat mm-hmm. which one is the one to the to, the best one to to get to the finish line to, to put on the most muscle to be the happiest a mix and that's and that you just ended it with to be the happiest we're not robots now, the best diet to eat is only clean food. The best diet would probably be some, 
some mix of chicken and lean red meat protein because the amino acid profile is perfect with only rice and maybe potatoes certain times with some oatmeal meal. I mean, the, the perfect diet is really restricted food sources that don't taste very good and are all very clean and that you would eat in huge, huge, huge amounts. The mm. problem is that bodybuilders don't become bodybuilders in two months. It takes yeah. 20 years. And no one's going to do that for 20 years and maintain the same level of obsession and the same level of enjoyment for each meal. And so you're always, you're dealing with the fact that we have the science, which, which looks at things as a robot. And we have humans, which are clearly not, not robots because we, we have taste buds. We have family obligations. We have, uh, we have a prep coming up where we need to, you know, you don't want to go into a prep already craving a million different things yeah. when you're not going to have the options to eat those things. And so that's, that's the big thing is we have, it's, it's some mix of it. If we were just robots and you had, if you had a, a bodybuilder without a brain and a, just a computer uh, chip in his head, you, could, you would feed him just the clean foods. We are not that person. And so what ends up happening is if you try to force that too long, A, you either burn out, which happens all the time. People don't last yeah. in the sport. Yeah. Or B, you go off the deep end and you, you do your perfect meals for two months and then you spend a week eating just complete garbage and, and ruin those whole two months. And yeah. so you have to find the balance. What I do with my clients is... Uh, all year, as deep into the prep as possible, we have at least one full cheat meal a week. In the off season, it's usually like even three times a week. I'll have yeah. these high carb days where we use insulin, and then I end those days with a big, huge cheat meal. So, okay. you know, three days a week. So there's no excuse not to eat your clean meals the rest of the time. You're eating plenty of food, more food than you probably want, especially more food volume since they're clean sources. But three days a week, you get to have your big shit meal. And then yeah. also on my high carb days, I use some sugary carbs also, which are almost feel like a cheat because they taste better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so, so I think it's some mix because we're not robots. So you mentioned insulin, and I don't want to get too far into the drugs, but I'm not really a huge fan of insulin. But I do want to discuss it because it's part of the nutrition. So. Yeah. Um, how often would somebody use insulin? Are they using it just before their cheat meals? Do you have them using it before their training? Like, how do you, where do you put I think I think insulin got like messed up, like so misused. At one, it, for a while, it was like early, early on, people were experimenting with it and it was using it multiple times a day. Then people were just trying to carve up on it. And then all through like the early mid 2000s, it was like people were just taking it post-workout. Yeah. And then it was pre-workout. And, but if you look at the, the way insulin works, you know, people talk about insulin as uh, the greatest anabolic. It really doesn't. It's not anabolic. It's anti-catabolic, which then people also say it's the greatest anti-catabolic ever. It's really not. What insulin's real benefit is, is the way it partitions nutrients. It increases amino acid uptake in the muscle. So even though it's not anabolic, if there is some anabolic stimulus, there's going to be more amino acids available at the cell. So it might not directly stimulate an anabolism, but it, it'll, it, it facilitates it when it happens. Yeah. And the other big thing with insulin is insulin actually, if you use properly, it can keep you leaner. And people that people really? really don't get that. Yeah. Well, well you just you just blew my mind because I've never seen. I'll that. explain this because <laughs> we're, we're 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 guided by thermodynamics. Energy can't be created. It can't be destroyed. There's some energy in the universe. Well, we the energy that we store in our body is from calories, and calories are just a, a unit of measurement of energy. It's the amount of energy it takes to raise one gram of water one degree Celsius. Now we store that energy in the body in three different ways. We store it as glycogen in the muscle or liver. We store it as fat, obviously, and we store it as proteins in the muscle cells and, the, and the, you know the the lining of the stomach and the heart and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, when the reason people think insulin makes you fat is because for a long time people would would take insulin and then either let themselves get hypo a little bit, which would force them to eat too much, yeah. or they would because they're taking insulin they would forcefully force more food down. Yeah. What I'm saying the proper way to use insulin is set your meal up. So on my hard carb day, say we have. We have a meal plan A, whatever it is, six meals a day, whatever it is. We know your body can absorb this, not get fat. It fills out, um, and we know we're growing on this. Now we add insulin to that, and what it does 
We don't change the diet, we just maximize the effectiveness of that diet. So now we have a few more grams of protein that could have potentially been stored as fat, which now might be stored as muscle. We have a few more grams of carbohydrates that might have been stored as fat before, which now can get stored as muscle glycogen. So we're storing the same number of energies in the body. We're we're increasing the likelihood that some of those excess energies are going to be stored as protein and glycogen rather than fat. Now it's a few grams here and there, but over a 10 or 15 year career, that, that adds up to multiple pounds of muscle and versus multiple pounds of fat. And it, it builds up to major differences in the end. And so that's can you, the way. Sorry, sorry. Uh, can you give me, and I know, again, we're not advising anybody to do anything. This is just us having a conversation about uh, how someone would, but it's not, we're not advising anybody to do anything. So I just want to put that out there first. But how, okay, is, would your protocol be like an all day thing? Is it, is it around yeah. the gym? I don't, it, I don't think, I don't think, I use insulin. We'll say one to three times a week in the off season, but we okay, use it like okay. three, ti- three times during that day. Okay. And, here, and here's the reason. Let's say insulin, it doubles the rate of muscle growth. Let's say if you take, we don't know what it is. It's probably less than that. I'm sure it's less than that, but let's say it doubles it. Now you take human log and it's active for like an hour and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. So just, just keep things simple. So you take it after workout. For an hour and a half, you double your rate of growth. Now, what yeah. does that mean? Well, the rate of growth is really, really small. Let's yeah. say you're adding 15 pounds of muscle a year, which is a lot. 15, that's a lot. 150 pounds every 10 years. That's a lot. If, yeah. if you break that down to, you know, how many, a pound is 1,100 uh, grams, you know, one, or I'm sorry, what is it? Uh, uh, one, one kilogram is 2.2 pounds. I'm sorry. Yeah. You break it down that way and you break it into grams. One, 15 pounds over the course of 365 days is only 25 grams of muscle a day. That's okay. it, 25 grams of protein a day getting through. So, yeah. so, so that's basically one gram an hour. Yeah. So now we're taking insulin post-workout for an hour and a half. So that's one and a half grams of, of, pro, of muscle that we could build. Now, if we double that, that's only three grams of muscle. We've only added one and a half grams of muscle. It's going to take 30 years to, to add two pounds of muscle that way. Yeah. So rather yeah. than do it that way, if we do that and we do it multiple times over the course of a full day, now, rather than having that, that rate of muscle growth doubled for only an hour and a half, we might have it doubled for 12 hours. I see. And so yeah. you could do it, double it for an hour and a half, five days a week for all your workouts and have it double for seven and a half, seven and a half uh, hours, or you can yeah. take it once all throughout the day and double it for 12 hours. Yeah. So, the, yeah. so less frequent, more, less frequent times during the week, more uses during the day, gives you more, t- more number of hours of the week where your muscle protein synthesis has increased. Well, the less frequency probably, because... I noticed when I, and we're going to get off insulin. I just want to cover this a little more, but I noticed when I take insulin, I get, my body gets very used to it very quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that, is the less frequency, like less days, but more frequency in one day. Does that help that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I don't have any research studies. It's not like you're going to, yeah. people are either diabetic or they're not. But yeah, I, yeah. I have from my, my clients getting their A1C checked and their fasting glucose checked. Yes, it does seem to mimic quite a bit so much where people, it seems that people, especially if you're using GH and using insulin after every workout or before every workout, it seems like we, there's no way we can make it through an entire off season without getting elevated blood sugar levels where even as much as three times a week with three times a day on those three times using Hemolog, I can go an entire off season without people having blood sugar issues. Really? So, yeah, because you look at even so four days a week, we have zero insulin use at all, you know, so we have four days. And, but I also do things with the diet on off days to reduce carbohydrates to kind of maximize insulin sensitivity. Also, but I wanted to get into this because I know one of your, I believe one of your strategies is carb cycling in the off season, yeah, yeah. correct? 
Yeah, so it's more yeah, it's calorie cycling, but yeah, I always call it carb cycling. <laughs> okay, so this is what I got you. I, I think I asked you to watch one of my carb cycling videos, and I don't want you to comment on it because it's probably not. <laughs> near, I thought near. it was good. It was good. <laughs> it's probably very remedial compared to what you're doing. But what? Okay, can you? I don't know if you can describe it in a podcast, but how is like your carb cycling week set up? Because a lot of people ask me this. They because people ask the first thing people ask me is how can I stay lean in the off season while still getting big? And I think carb cycling is a good way mm-hmm. to do that. Right. So I tell them that's usually the best strategy to get bigger, get your food in and still not turn to a fat fuck. Um, but there's so many different strategies for carb cycling. So what is kind of your premise? My basic approach is we have our base day. That's our medium carb day. And that's most of our training days or early in the diet for most of our training days. And that's the day we know that would be like your standard diet that most people are doing, whatever some mix of protein carbohydrates, it's a bodybuilding mix. We know you're going to grow from that. There might be some potential for fat gain, but you're, you know, you were going to grow. That's our base diet. Then our days we don't train are our, our, our low days, which we drop the carbohydrates, not dramatically. It's not like 50 grams of carbs a day, but we drop them pretty low. And those days are actually probably hypocaloric, meaning we're eating less calories than we burn, but we keep the protein at least as high as the medium day and possibly higher. And we okay. increase the fats also. So we slow the digestion, we improve insulin sensitivity, and we're probably depleting glycogen a little bit. Yeah. But we supply enough protein that we can still build muscle. And the, and the thing is, and this is especially beneficial for enhanced athletes, because if the androgen levels are rising in the blood, you can still synthesize new protein, even in, when calories are down. You know, can you, not can you sorry, can you, yeah, you, cut, you, you cut out for a second. Can you say yeah. that last, last bit for again? Is, while androgens are high or rising in the body, like when you're supplementing, you can still build muscle in, while calories are hypocaloric, while, you, while you're losing fat. It's not a lot, but you don't have to be more calories than you burn. You're, you're not going to add body weight when calories are down, but you can add a couple grams of muscle. And we just saw, you know, 15 pounds of muscle is only 25 grams of muscle a day. Yeah, so you can yeah. sneak out 20 grams of protein and turn it into muscle, even while you're losing, losing fat that day. Yeah. And so that creates a bit of a calorie deficit. And then on our high carb day, which we start at one and try to build up to three carbs three times a week, are very, very high carbohydrate with insulin use, fat levels are very low, and protein is more moderate. And what we're trying to say on that day, I'll say, say someone your size can store 1,000 grams of glycogen, probably more, but let's just make it e- easy. 1,000 grams of glycogen. Now let's say you could eat 600 grams of carbohydrates just as your base day. So we know you can eat 600 grams without storing any fat. Yeah. And say on your low days, we deplete another uh, 500 grams over the course of two low days or something. So now we have 1,100 grams of carbohydrates that we could potentially eat, and which would be your, the 600 that you normally burn plus replacing the 500 that you, uh, that you depleted. But now because we're depleted, we get some level of super saturation and we're yeah. using insulin. So let's get another 100 grams on top of that. Now we can eat 1,200 grams of carbohydrates on that day without storing any of them as fat. Okay, stop. Imagine that. how much... Time out. I'm sorry. I have to keep interrupting you because this. I, I for anybody watching, if you if you're asking if you're wondering why I'm interrupting, is because I'm trying to make sure I explain everything. We explain everything to everybody. So the super saturation is happening because when you're on your low carb day, you're in a deficit of carbs, not right. cal- not calories, but you're in a you're in a deficit. Are you in a deficit of calories or just yeah, yeah, not a huge, a bigger cal- carb deficit, but yes, also a small okay. calorie deficit. So your carbs are drastically reduced. So now your body is more sensitive to the uptake the next day on the high day. 
Yeah, and exactly. you're, you're, we have to think of us as, as cavemen, basically. The yeah. body's always trying to react what it's recently seen. And yeah. so in a, in a, our, our easiest form of energy to use to hunt woolly mammoths is glycogen. So if we, if we don't have any glycogen and we're really depleted, we're not going to have the energy to hunt woolly mammoths, even if we have fat stores. So your body in the short term is going to say, we don't know how often this is going to happen. The next time we see some carbohydrates, we're going to store as much as we can, even if it's more than we usually can, because we, okay. we don't know the next time we're going to have this depletion. Okay. Okay. So, but you work your way up to, you're not saying you start, see, this is a problem a lot of of people make is they'll set up their carb cycling strategy and day one is the same as day 100. Yeah, no, no. And you're telling me, so what I gathered from what you were saying is day one of your carb cycling strategy is probably, you might only have one high carb day. Yeah, probably almost always to start. Yeah. And it's so high that you're telling me I could take in a thousand grams. 12. Yeah. We just did the math. If you, if we say you can eat 600 normally, and we deplete 500 more on top of that on the low days, that's 1,100 right there. But where, where, where are you getting the 600 from? You're saying because two grams, two grams per pound? Yeah, I'm just saying I'm guessing someone your body mass eating yeah. the typical, you know, maybe six, eight, or 10 ounces of protein a meal. Your body can, someone your size can probably eat roughly that much without really worrying about a ton of fat gain. I could be wrong, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, most people, I mean, for someone your size, 600 grams of carbohydrates isn't outrageous in the off season. So that, that's what I'm, is it weird? It, it, we'll go back to the carb cycling in a second, but is it weird that if I, if I ate 600 grams of carbs, I would get fat? No, but because I, I, would, I would also. <laughs> but I, I have a lot. You, you're probably the anomaly, though, because most of. Uh, no, no, well, I, would, I would get fat, though, I'm saying. What, 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 how much protein? with that uh, i usually eat like seven or eight ounces cooked. okay yeah so you got kind of a shit metabolism like i do man you should see some of the people i work with most of the guys your size could pound 600 grams with eight ounces of meat and and still have started glutes but i wonder but i wonder this is what i this is what goes back to my other question so when me and luke used to talk about having that little bit of shit meal mm-hmm. you know in between foods i wonder if that's why i can't take in the 600 grams because i'm putting these snack foods in Probably. That yeah. aren't, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if I just ate, you know, rice and potatoes, if I could take in the 600 grams. Well, I, yeah, I'm sure I would, I would think that your size, I mean, if you don't have a great metabolism, that's kind of, it's most people your size are probably in the four to four to 600 range, uh, yeah. assuming like a good moderate protein intake and in all clean sources. Yeah. I was just doing the 600 to make it an even number. So we yeah, could yeah. make it at 1200 total day. So but, you go that drastic on your high day, you'll, you'll double the medium day. Well, uh, whatever, whatever we think we can store, it's all mathematical. So if, if we, if we say, say we say you are 600 calories a day on your medium day and we are 600 grams of carbs and we know you're not getting fat on that. Yeah. Then we drop, uh, we drop your low day to 250 and there's two okay. of those. So that, or let's drop it to 200. So it's a uh, 400 yeah. drop each day. So yeah. that's 800 grams between those two days. Not all of it will be depleted, but we can say, you know, of that 800 at, you know, maybe 500 of it was pure depletion. So now we know you can eat 600 grams. We know you're depleted 500 grams. That's 1,100 grams. Now we know there's some level of supersaturation. We'll call that 100 grams. Now we have 1,200 grams for one high day that we can eat and we wow. can be relatively comfortable knowing that we're not going to store fat from that. And in this, you've used this on your clients and it works. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you, you can, you can, I don't really post my clients. I'm not, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm just not one of those coaches yeah. that do, but you won't find a fat client of mine. Like I said, well, I know, I know Ben Pollock. He's, he is fucking shredded and he's strong as fuck too. Can you tell me how he stays that strong while he's that shredded? He trades heavy as, well, 
All right, let me let me get his diet actually. Uh, uh, you, you, you said the calories. You'll be blown away by his. Uh... You should send it to me, and I'll get it up on the screen. All right, give me one second. Um, so I'm just going to share my screen with people so they know who you're training. So this is this is Ben Pollock, PhD deadlift or PhD deadlift or PH, I don't know. Is that supposed to be PhD dead, deadlift? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Well, he has a PhD. Yeah. So if you guys want to follow him, you guys will see some crazy shit. Uh, these lifts are insane. I've never seen anybody. I shouldn't say never, but I rarely see anybody lift this heavy while being this lean. Uh, this is insane. Like I don't know how many places he got on here. Seven fifty-five, I think. It says seven. Oh, huge PR. Seven sixty-five. He just did eight fifty-five recently too. So, <laughs> dude, just looking at this makes my knees hurt. <laughs> I don't know. So, so he's doing your carb cycling program. Yeah, and I'm sending it to you right now. His most recent one. Are you emailing it to me? Yep. Okay, good. Yeah, it'd be interesting to take a look at it. I want to. I want to see what someone like this is doing because he looks great. Like. I mean, this is. What he's, he, uh, he does not nibble. <laughs> when it, when is this from? Let's this photo. Do you know? Uh, that was June first, I think. Yeah. And this he's up to almost two fifty five now, but. So it's he's two forty nine here. It says, um, "Is this getting ready for a show, or is this just the way he is?" That's his off season. This is his fucking off season. Yeah, and his high day is eleven hundred fifty grams of carbs, and his medium day is eight hundred fifty grams of carbs right now. Okay, one second. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this share so I can go into my email. Let's see here. Did you, you sent to my email? Yep. Okay, I have to wait for it to come in. But let's go back and... I hope I sent it to the right one. It's just foo at abiat at gmail. Yeah. So I, this is phenomenal, man. 249, and he looks like he's fucking 8% body fat, if not less. Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's on the low end of what I would say is uh, the, the body fat range I'm looking for. So when I, did the, when I did the podcast with Lane, he was saying that being too lean is not conducive to getting big how do you feel about that because obviously your clients made a lot of progress and he's pretty fucking lean well i, I agree i just my my range was that like the eight to ten percent and either six to ten six to twelve percent and i think he's and ben's not not below six or eight percent i don't think he's below six percent yeah but i would consider six to be very lean I, I would i would agree but i also i would say from a uh physiologically stand physio, physiological standpoint you're your markers for animalism, your rate of testosterone production, your insulin sensitivity, your uh, aromatization levels are, are all still optimized for muscle growth. So why would, and, and I'm not, I don't want you to have to uh, explain for somebody else's theory, but why would, can you explain why uh, Lane would say that being too lean and Chris, and actually Tuttle, Chris Tuttle agreed with him that being too lean wasn't conducive to well, I agree with I agree with them. I just would say being too lean is under uh, like six percent caliper body fat. Oh, so you're saying okay, I get what you're saying. So your line for too lean is just much lower. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this, and, and Lane, and you know, I don't know if Lane works with enhanced athletes, you know, but if he's not, that I would say it's either if for non-enhanced above, you need to be above about eight percent. Yeah. Is this so like if like if Ben wasn't enhanced, I would say he's probably too lean. Okay. Is this this is the off season still? Yep, yeah, that was just the other day. What are you, are you serious? Okay, yeah, so. Did, did the diet not go through yet? I want uh, you to see it, because it'll blow your mind. If, if I see his diet, it looks like what you're going to, I'm going to hire you tomorrow. If I could eat 1,000 calories a day, I would be in heaven. Yeah, he's, uh, he's 850 grams of carbs on his medium day, 450 on his low day. Okay, so let's see what we got here. I got his diet. All right, so this is Ben Pollock's diet. 
low day total cal his low day is 4300 calories that's, that's direct calories what it's does that mean? because um when i say 75 grams of protein if you see his fat it's added fat so i'm not oh so that's not so that, so you when you say added fat that's like he added like a tablespoon of olive oil or something yeah yeah so i'm not counting the fat that's in the protein sources they are all lean sources my the, the people the thing people won't like about my diets is that they they're very lean sources uh minimal i mean red meat minimal red meat the, most of it is chicken in the, even in the off season the red meats would be like round steak flank steak uh and not that often so i made i made a, when i was making most of my gains i used to be a, a hard advocate of at least one red meat meal a day yeah yeah I, same way okay. my, my low days he, he gets two well he's even increased because his metabolism is really taken off but low days are typically up to two to three meals can be red meat uh, medium day one to two high days i prefer no red meat meals i prefer really really lean protein sources okay so when you send him this diet i mean this is this is what you send him yeah yeah so basically you're just sending him numbers and he fills in whatever he wants yeah well i have a food list i have like macronutrient calculating things the reason i don't like to say eat exactly this protein is and because i see it all the time i'll train with some kid who's working with another coach and he's he'll, he's supposed to have bananas after his workout he says oh shit i don't have any bananas is there a mcdonald's around here you know, <laughs> yeah. so where I, this, this way I say, you know, I give you, I'd like you to have these foods and these amounts, but here's the macronutrients and a food list. Yeah. So if you're somewhere and you don't have those foods, you can still get, get, you know, close enough to hit the, hit the numbers. Is McDonald's on your list? If you can hit those macros, but I don't think you can hit them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's pretty simple. I mean, you just got every meal is 75 grams of protein, 75 grams of carbs. This isn't yeah. like. So 450 a day of each, 84 grams of fat, 4,300 4, on your low day. Then your medium day, 55, 56, 60. So my dog's at the door. Let me let him in real quick. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. This is crazy. 150 grams of seat. So looking at it like this, for those of you listening, it doesn't sound like a lot of food, but this is a lot of food. Like 75 grams of protein is, you know, you're looking at eight ounces of steak or eight ounces of chicken, right? Yeah, Justin? yeah. I mean, because like, yeah. like when it's funny because when you look at the diet this way it really looks oh i could do that that's no problem but if i put those meals down in front of you yeah even yeah. on the load even on the low day this is a lot of food like 75 grams of carbs is like yeah, you're eight ounces of meat and a cup and a half of rice and a tablespoon of olive oil every yeah like three isn't 75 grams of carbs like 300 grams of rice yeah i mean yeah i think a little under that but yeah it's a lot <laughs> That's a because uh, that's what I do. It's a lot. I mean, to do that six times. Yeah, and we. I mean, we didn't start here. We built up this, and then also you can see on this high day, half of half of the carbs can be I call sugary sources, oh, which okay. is basically just anything that's really low fat, fruit, juice, candy. So he can do like if he's doing like two hundred grams for breakfast, he yeah, can he do like, like two cups of oats, and then he could have a hundred grams of orange juice, hundred grams of carbs from orange juice. I can't even. I can't even eat two cups of oats. I know. It, it, well, that's that's a we did it. We built up to this, and that's the that's my my main goal in the off season. As I always try to say, I'm trying to turn you into a food processing machine. Yeah. But imagine how easy his prep's going to be if this is where if this is his off season and he's lean. You know. So our goal is always we want to build muscle, obviously, but really what we're trying to do and muscle is going to be a byproduct of this is we're trying to teach your body to assimilate the most amount of good, clean, yeah. whole foods as possible. And the more we can do that, the more we can do it without getting fat. Then, then prep is prep's not prep anymore. Prep is we drop to one high day a week and he's, he's, you know, he's in shape. Yeah. 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 So this is a crazy thing though, too, because when I look at this, it reminds me of Patrick tour, but 
and I'm not saying you're like his diet at all, but what I'm, but the reason I said that is I don't think I could do this unless I was eating only these foods. But you said that in the off season, you have somebody working up to like three cheat meals a week. Yeah. His meal six can be replaced with a cheat meal on any high day. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Like that's, I would, I can't imagine eating this much food and not, and not being fat. Well, we don't build up to it. I mean, I could show you his, his early diets and they're, they're you know, quite a bit lower. We built, we built up to this and he, he's added 80 pounds of muscle this year. And I say muscle, people are like bullshit, but he competed in, in a classic at a, as a 181 pounds or 184 pounds. And he had done powerlifting at 181. And so he, he was 181 pounds last July and he's 255, I think was his most recent morning check-in. So he's put on, yeah. So he's put on a solid 80 pounds. Yeah. So when, when the diet started, he was eating like 181 pounder who was lean. So they were quite a bit lower, but we've, that was, he's done, uh, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 13, 13 diet changes. So 13 times over the last year. So basically roughly once a month, a little more so than when, once a month, up so, calorie. So what is your, so how does the week break out? Like, oh, well, I guess you change it throughout the diet, but one of the things you said was that the low days were on your off days and my right. philosophy for, and this may sound crazy to some people, but my philosophy for carb cycling has always been that my high days were on rest days mm-hmm. only because I was trying to refuel. Like what I would do is I would put a high day like on Sunday. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Monday would be a lower day and it would be like my leg day. Uh-huh. And I would use that day to burn fat, I guess. Does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and I don't have any problem with that. And there's, you know, you're, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, no matter what you do, because there's no perfect diet. My, well, my, my approach with the diet is that we're using insulin on the high days and okay. insulin's going to you know, facilitate muscle growth. And so I want those on your heaviest training days. So my high days are pre- starting preferentially on leg day. Yeah. If we had two of them, I prefer legs and back. Yeah. If we have three of them, I, I, I just want them non-consecutive. So, yeah, you know, yeah. so I try to put them on your heaviest training day. Now the downside of that is that you can be sluggish on that many carbs on leg day. You can have lower back pumps, which can be a problem. Yeah. The upside of that is that you have all those calories combined with insulin on a day where you're training heavy, where the most amount of actual tissue growth throughout the body, you know, maybe not in the muscle you want, but as far as rate of protein synthesis, it's going to be highest on your heavy training days with the largest muscle group. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to maximize the growth on those, even though there's, but the downside is that there's some negative potential for how big your workout's going to be if you're sluggish from all the time right. or if your yeah. lower back's pump. So it's always a give and take. And if well, someone runs into a problem with their lower back, they can't get through a leg workout because of lower back pumps or something, we'll move the high day around that. And you know, nothing's set in stone. Yeah. So, for example, if I'm doing a five-day split, like I do, I do a pro split, which if you motherfuckers caught that, it's not a bro split, it's a pro split. Um, I do a five-day split. So basically my low days would be, and my days off are Thursday and Sunday. So those would be my low days. Mm-hmm. And then my high day would be Monday is my leg day. And then my other days, my other days just be medium days. Yeah, yeah, basically your normal diet, yeah. Huh. I like the way that's set up. I like the, so how do you get, is insulin, are you, are you measuring people's blood sugar throughout the day when you're doing the insulin or are you just? No, and here's my dose protocol. And I think, I think, cause I've been doing, I've been tracking blood sugar for years. I track it really for peaking for a contest. And okay. I think people get it so mixed up. They, they look for like fasted blood sugar where, you know, especially as you get larger, your fasted reading can be so, you have so much blood and so much uh, uh, blood volume. Uh, 
and you got a, a large guy with everything's compressed down, and so he's sleeping like this, blood flow is restricted to his finger. You don't know if that's a true blood sugar reading, and you'll test the guy in the morning and test it 20 minutes later, and it's a totally different number. Yeah. So I go by A1C preferably, which is your basically what your what your standard blood sugar is overall. Yeah. Uh, but what I do for the way that I dose the insulin is that because we're trying to maximize that the high day is built without insulin. We know that the high day will work. Now we're trying to maximize it. So what I say is you start out at these low doses and you titrate up. So say we do like Ben would do maybe meal one, post-workout or meal four or something. And he starts out at a real low dose. And then the next high day, he, he goes up by an IU each dose. So he keeps going up until he sees any signs of hypoglycemia. Yeah. And he goes, that's his actual limit. And we either stay there or back it down a little bit. Because what we want to do is we want to go as close to hypoglycemia as possible without going hypo. Because if you go hypo, that's where you're going to eat junk food or you know, drink excess calories. Yeah. But we want to maximize the diet just short of going hypo, but not going hypo. But I don't understand what you mean. Because you're going to go hypo based on how much you took. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, so say, so let's, start, uh, let's say you still him to take five IUs, right? Yeah. And say so he doesn't go hypo. Yeah. So the next, next time he takes six IUs, he doesn't go hypo. Yeah. But as long as he's eating the amount of carbs to go with the IUs, he's not going to go hypo. So I don't understand. But we're not, but we're not changing the carb. We're changing oh. the insulin. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, so his diet is set in stone. So those okay. carbs stay the same. And then we build up the insulin until he almost goes hypo. So you'll go. So, sorry, let me do this again just yep. so people know what we're talking about. So, you'll go, okay, say whatever, high day down here. Yep. You'll go, okay, 200 grams of carbs and 10 IUs of insulin. Yeah, and say so he doesn't go hypo. Then the yep. next time next time he tries 11, then 12. And the first sign of hypo that, that we know, say he goes hypo at 14 IUs, then yep. we know that's his number, 13 or 14. Because we, we know we can take 14 IUs and never run into the issue where he's gonna go hypo and have to go off diet plan. Okay, okay. Max, so that means we know he can eat 200 grams of carbs without getting fat. Now we're gonna maximize the rate of muscle growth that we can get out of those 200 grams by taking insulin as high as we can without going hypo and having to change the diet. Okay, so one of the things- It's kind of the reverse of when everyone else goes with it. Because everyone else takes a dose of insulin and then covers it with carbs. Yeah. You don't know if that, you have no basis to know if that amount of carbs is going to make you fat or not, which is why it makes everyone fat because they end up eating too many carbs. Oh, I got we it. start with the point we, we get a diet that we know is not going to make you fat, and then we build up the insulin to maximize that diet. I got it. All right, so you're doing the opposite of what yeah, you're, yeah. Doing, you're doing the smart way, essentially. So I think, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I have a lot of questions after looking at this diet, but one of the ones is a phenomenon that people can't seem to figure out, and I don't really know how to explain, but what you're doing here is basically growing into a diet, but well, it's not, it's growing with a diet, but how does somebody like me and Evan and John uh, on a podcast once we're talking about how you need to eat at a certain level so that when you diet, if you eat enough, your body can grow into that weight. And then when you diet, you're not stripping away tons of calories. Cause now you're at a level where you're taking in five, six, 7,000 calories it becomes much easier. All you got to do is pull a little junk food out and all of a sudden you're losing weight. Yeah, yeah. But the question I have for you, the main question I have for you is how does somebody get to this? Because a lot of people will start like, okay, let's take, for example, you have this 4356 here. A lot of people will say, okay, you know what? I'm going to start at 3000 calories. And I hope by the end of the off season, I can work up to 4356. Yeah. But it seems like every time they bump to 32 or 34 or 36, they start getting fatter. Yeah. So are you, 
that's, that's the thing. It's like playing the stock market. You can want the markets to do what you want it to do. It's going to do what it's going to do. So you just have to read it. So we start at a number. He, his low day started at something like 22 or 2300 calories. Okay. You know, over 13 revisions, it goes up to this. You don't, you basically, you start the diet. You don't just say, at this point, I'm going to increase calories. You increase calories when you can. And so when your body makes stalls and you're noticing signs that you're getting leaner, mm-hmm. then we know we have more room. If you're not getting leaner, and your body weight's still climbing, we can't add calories. You're already, you're probably gaining fat already. So let's say Ben was at 181 and he, he you know, we get that post contest rebound and he's up to 210 or something and pretty lean. And then we get to 212, 213, and then he stays at 213. And then all of a sudden his next check in is 212. Well, now we know, you know, any more leader. Yeah. Now we know we can make a change. And we might overshoot it, you know, and we might yeah. gain too quick or we might undershoot it, but we know we're, we, we have room to make the change. You can't, you know, you can't force things. You have to, you have to read the body. I think that's a main point because people always ask me, they're like, well, how often should I add calories? Like every two weeks or every month? And I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not really easy to answer. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's impossible to answer like that. Cause it could be, cause it could be one week this week and it might be three months the next time, you know, sometimes you're just in a groove where your workouts are great and everything's flowing and your meals are really good and, and you're shooting up. And then other times you're banging your head against the wall on a heavy cycle, treating your ass off and nothing happens. You know, you, you just have to, you have to be patient and, you know, and, and read the body, not force the body because it's going to do what it's going to do. And all you want to do is it's like riding, you know, riding a wave as a surfer, you know, when the wave's there, you got to ride it. You can't make a wave, you know, mm-hmm. you take every advantage of when the wave is there. And that's, that's the key. That's what people miss. I think is they're trying to force the wave yeah. rather than waiting when it's there and catch and catch it and ride it as good as you can. So basically let's say I message you and I'm 200 pounds mm-hmm. and we start a diet. If I go to 205 mm-hmm. and then hold there, like the next week I'm still 205. Mm-hmm. Will you add or you won't add until I go back to 204? If it's only one week, I probably won't add. If it's, you know, if it's, if it's, if we've been on the diet for three weeks and you stall for a week, we'll probably add, see where it's at. And I don't make big jumps. My, the, the, I ask my clients to be really precise. And it's maybe, what, you know, almost a little bit of asking them to be a robot a little too much. Yeah. Because I'll make jumps in five grams. You know, my, his, if you're at 50 grams of carbs, I might make two meals, 55 grams the next change. So I, so it's really precise changes, you know, and, and I'm always looking at the numbers, you know, and I come from a math background. So I'm always saying, you know, I always, we know, you know, each calorie is four or each gram of carbohydrate is four grams of four, whatever calories. Calories, Yeah. yeah so we're, so we're, we're doing that under that idea where we say, okay, we've increased calories this much because you, you have water fluctuations also. So if we, if we increase calories, 200 calories a day on average, that's roughly a half a pound a week. Yeah. Uh, you know, ideally it would be all muscle. It's probably not, but we, if, if we do that and you're and you, but you, you know, your water is going to go up and down with that. So we're looking at trend line, trend lines. But if you, if you change, if you grow differently than that amount, something we know. If if we had two hundred calories and you gain a half a pound, we know all those calories were sucked up basically. Yeah. If we had two hundred calories and you don't gain anything, we know is you had a metabolism increase, and so we could probably push calories even higher. I got you. you know, so so when you. Know, it needs to follow that correct path. If it's if it veers, veers down from that path, we know your metabolism is getting above the, the diet. If it doesn't veer down from that path, we know we might be gaining fat, but we're not ahead of the diet anyways at this point. Yeah. So when someone gains 80 pounds, is that because Ben is new? Because I don't know if he was new when he came to you, was he? Because I would never tell um, somebody. He was, here's, here's how Ben did that. He, he was all-time world record holder at 198 pounds in powerlifting. Now he was cutting to 198 from you know 220 or whatever. So you know he was already a 220, maybe 230 pound guy. Oh, okay. And because he was trying to set the all-time world record at 181, and so for two years he was in an extremely calorie restricted state, 
all the time, trying to get close enough to make 181 mm -hmm. before he finally said, screw it, I'm not making 181. I want to do cl classic uh, physique. Yeah. And then he, and so he did compete roughly at that weight. By the time he was on stage and completely depleted and everything, he 181 or 184. So by the time he got to me, he had been extreme calorie restriction for two years, way weight depleted. He had already been a 230 pound bodybuilder yeah, probably, yeah, you know. Yeah. I just, so we, it was the optimal situation for growth. So you can use it as a marketing tool and say you, you helped them gain 80 pounds, but it's oh, not just it all the time. <laughs> Anyone who listen. But you still put 20 pounds on him and he's yeah. still, and he's still like, you know, 6% body fat, 8% body fat. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. really, really impressive. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you about foods real quick. Cause we're, I'm going through your diet and it, like I said, it's just numbers. So someone might say to me, well, I'm confused. I know I got a food list. But is but 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 people make a very um, people make a really really big deal about what foods to eat every day, and obviously they should. So, you if you just give me this diet and a food list and say eat whatever you you know eat fill these numbers in, what mm -hmm. if I just want to eat egg whites every single meal? Uh, well, you'll get biotin deficiency, but other than that, it would, it's the fact that egg whites aren't a complete protein. It wouldn't be terrible. I t I tell you basically. My wait, diet, I, I mean, when I, don't just, I don't just send this. I send a whole email explaining everything. And I give you some meal examples and I explain my food, my food diet. And I, at some point I would maybe even write a book on this. I'd call it the pick it, kill it, grow it diet. And yeah. So my foods are, if you can't pick it from a tree, grow it in a field or hunt it for meat, yeah. it shouldn't be in the diet. And that's basically what, so it's really just, I mean, bodybuilding is, to me, bodybuilding is just meat and rice. It's and, and then, then we dial in the amounts of meat and rice to make sure you're growing optimally. And that's, that's really what the food, the, I mean, I give a full food list and it's a pretty good variety, but if you're not eating meat and rice, the, you, most of your meals, you're probably not where I want you. Okay. But give me, okay, well, let's back up a minute. Cause you just, I can mail you the food list. if you No, want. no, no. You, you, you just confused the hell out of me. Cause you said okay. egg whites are not a complete protein. Yeah. It's not true. It, it is true. Eggs are a complete protein. But so you're telling me if I eat 16 egg whites, it's not complete. No, it's missing a couple of essential amino acids. So what the fuck am I doing then? I, I did a whole diet. You know, I did a whole diet for one of the shows I won. Yeah. I think it was Vancouver or Orlando. I can't remember which show I did, mm -hmm. but I literally ate like 16 egg whites, like three times a day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's remember the rate of muscle the protein synthesis is extremely low. Now, what, what it means by complete protein is you, you need to, to build a muscle, to build, to, to synthesize new muscle, you need all 20 amino acids at the site. So this is a, a muscle cell. All 20 amino acids have to be here. Yeah. Nine of them you have to get, what is it? Nine, nine, nine of them are essential. Yeah. Yeah. Nine of them you have to get from the diet. The other 11 you can make from other proteins. You okay. can make from the, but nine of them you have to eat in the diet. Now, uh, just because you didn't eat all of them in one meal doesn't mean that all those amino acids are not present in your body. And I always say as an analogy, everyone's like eating a piece of steak as a kid or something, or eating steak, and then seven hours later you get sick and you throw up and there's chunks of steak in your puke. And you didn't eat yeah. steaks for like, when the hell did I even eat steak? So there's always previous meals. And if you're eating good whole protein sources, like meat protein sources that all through the day, you're going to have a, a, all the essential amino acids all day. And then on top of that, there's, there's amino acids in your carbohydrates. And yeah. actually, a lot of the, the food combinations that some cultures eat are, are by necessity, complete sources, even though individually they're incomplete. And as an example is beans and rice. Yeah, beans aren't a complete protein, rice aren't a complete protein. Yeah. Now, 
cultures, you know, thousands of years ago, maybe culture A only ate beans. Well, they wouldn't last very long because they'd start wasting away eventually. Maybe culture B only ate rice. The people that ate beans and rice survived because it's a complete protein, and that's why a lot of our food combinations are what they are. Okay. So you might only eat egg whites, but if you ate oatmeal with the egg whites, and that oatmeal, even though it would only have a couple grams of protein, if it had those essential amino acids in that, then that would combine with the egg whites. And then on top of that, your other meals of the day were complete proteins probably. And really, if you eat at least one meat meal a day, you're going to have a, all the essential amino acids flowing through the body 24 hours a day. Okay, but wait a minute. Now you got, you, you're, I'm going back to like Nutrition 101. So <laughs> we have to back up. So I was under the impression that you had to have all the essential aminos at every feeding. No, because, and, and I just, I, the example I said with puking up steak, I could eat steak right now, get sick tomorrow morning, and I might puke up some undigested steak. So those essential amino acids from that steak are still being broken down. You know, so it, you don't need it every meal because you need, you need stable blood amino acids. So my, the, worm, the amino acids in my blood right now are a combination of all my previous meals, so even up to yesterday's meals. And they were, all the essential amino acids were in some of those meals. Ideally, you want a complete protein in every meal. Ideally, you do. Yeah. But it's not an absolute requirement. Why do we eat every two to three hours then if it's going to be in our system? You don't, you don't have to. You really don't. And for my diets, the reason is because look at Ben's diet and, and break that into three meals. Justin, you're crossing, you're crossing the line now. I can't, I can't agree with you on this. <laughs> so, you, so you're telling me if I, ate, if I took Ben's diet mm -hmm. and I ate that in two meals, if I could, let's say I could eat the food, that would have the same effect on my body? Well, define, no, no, I'm not arguing that. I'm saying it would be very, 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 very minimal difference. Now, very, very minimal difference becomes, see the thing is, you know, like bodybuilding is an extreme, you know? And so calories in versus calorie out is all most people will ever notice. So yeah. if, you, if I'm burning 3000 calories a day and I eat 2,500 calories a day, I'll lose a pound a week. Most of it'll be fat, well, no matter what I eat, even if I eat junk food for that calories. Yeah. Yeah. But the devil's in the details because now if I eat a pure bodybuilding diet and I, with those 2,500 calories, where the other person ate junk food, they might've burned uh, 0.45 pounds of fat a week and lost a tiny bit of muscle, where I might burn 0.51 pounds of fat a week and even gain a tiny bit of muscle. Over a week or two or three weeks or even a couple months, it doesn't make a difference. But over a 10-year bodybuilding career, that's the difference between being skinny fat and being a bodybuilder. And the yeah. same thing with the diet. On any given day, no, you are not going to notice a difference. There'll be no way to measure a difference. You won't be able to measure the difference in protein synthesis, the rate of your body fat levels. Even a week or a month or two months of eating two meals a day of, the, of, of that same diet just crunched together. But over a 10 or 15 year career, where it might add up to three or four pounds of muscle difference, three or four pounds of fat difference. And now you step on the Olympia stage with three pounds of less muscle, and three pounds more fat, that's, you're not placing, you know, okay, that, so that, that becomes a big difference. Okay. But what about some secondary issues? So let's say I agree with you about the rate of muscle growth and all that and eating two meals a day versus six. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what about other factors like performance or glycogen storage or all that like all these i feel like all those things matter because i've i've done i've had days where i've eaten like three huge meals and my performance is shit no i agree i'm i'm, a, I'm not i'm not arguing for two meals a day i'm a, i'm you can see my meals are six meals a day my diet yeah. yeah so i'm agreeing with you i'm saying that the thing is in the short term the uh, the ways we have to measure, you wouldn't be able to measure the difference. The difference is in the details, which is why I say we're not robots. Yeah, because yeah. Because you're, uh, if if you if you ate at 8 a.m. and you're training at 6 p.m. and you haven't ate since 8 a.m., it doesn't matter how big that meal's going to be. Your workout's probably going to be shit. You're going to stimulate okay. less muscle protein synthesis, and so and that's that's the thing where 
where like the whole calories in versus calories out thing gets, gets missed messed up because those things do apply and that is what matters as far as how much weight you lose yeah differences of bodybuilder we're not just trying to lose weight we have a, there's a lot of little minor things that come into play and in the short term they don't show really but in the long term if you're having shitty workouts uh if you're having a tiny bit of difference between what's being lost as muscle what's being fast over a, a week or a month or even a couple months you might not really see those differences but over the course of a bodybuilding career which might be 20 years those add up to dramatic differences. And that's, that's why, and you won't, you can't find that in research because you can't do a 20 year research study. Yeah, so really yeah. you're just making, making the assumptions, but I think they're pretty obvious assumptions that if you have shit workouts because you're training after not eating for six hours, you know, so, but you, but you, you can't, there's not research on it because you're not going to be able to do a 20 year research study where people are compliant to that extent. So the next time somebody says to me, I can eat all my calories in one meal and I'll still gain the same amount of muscle. They're essentially right, but all the underlying factors yeah. are going to be the difference. Yeah. If they tried to do that for 20 years, all those things would come into play and become major players, even though in the short term, because I might not even work out today. So the fact that it gives me a shitty workout isn't going to change what I did today. Yeah. You know, but over, over a career, those things really do add up, which is why you'll never find a top bodybuilder who's eating two meals a day, but you'll find lots of scientists who argue that they could eat two meals a day and still be a top bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. you know? Because, so it's one of those things where theory doesn't apply in reality. Yeah, and it's because it, and, and, and the theory does apply if they really looked at the theory. It's just not the problem is science that needs to be experimental, and you can't set up that experiment. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. So on the topic of amino acids, why are a lot of companies, and I, I kind of know the answer, but I want I heard you talk about it in a seminar, so I want I want you to explain a little bit further. But why are some companies switching from branch chain amino acids to essential amino acids? And is it useless to just take branched chain amino acids by themselves? Not useless. You just need to decide to find what their use is for. Branched chain, chain amino acids trigger protein synthesis. Leucine is kind of the trigger for mTOR, which triggers the synthesis of new muscle tissues. The problem is, uh, think so. BCAAs would be like a like a, a boss telling people what to do. What's actually building muscles is essential amino acids. So I might be a great boss and say, build muscle, build muscle, build muscle. But if there's no essential amino acids, it doesn't matter what I say, they can't be there to build. So, you know, the leucine is the trigger for it, but I, it's like pulling a trigger on a gun. I can pull a trigger, but if there's no bullet, nothing's yeah. gonna stop. The amino acids are the bullet. The other thing is branched amino acids can be used directly as a source of energy. And so they can actually, the problem is people use that a lot when dieting. They'll drink BCAAs while they're doing cardio or something. Yeah. And they'll think they're preserving muscle. And they are maybe possibly because they're, because they're eating calories so you can't break down muscle. But the problem is you're, you're supplying a direct energy source. So now we don't need to use fat to fuel the cardio. Uh, so, okay, that leads me to two questions. Cause, <laughs> and you're, I feel like you're disputing all my stuff. Uh, but I don't necessarily disagree with you. So I take essential amino acids every morning during mm -hmm. my cardio. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me I'm blunting my fat burning by doing that. No, uh, I'm saying it, I'm saying it doesn't it doesn't really matter because your fat burning isn't just from the cardio. Your fat burning comes from your calorie deficit. So you're so you are of the belief that cardio midday is the same as cardio in the morning. Yeah, and I'll I'll explain why. And so the reason for doing it, so you do it fasted probably because your blood sugar's down, right? So I'm, just, just just for clarification before you explain, I know the theory is if you do it in the morning that you burn more fat, and that's why a lot of people do it. The main reason I do it is it just gets my day started properly. That's, so. that's the right, same reason I recommend fasting. Okay. And I'll explain why it does technically burn more fat in the morning, but it really doesn't. Mm -hmm. So say you wake up in the morning and your blood sugar is 70, 70 milligrams per deciliter. 
let's say after a meal it's 100. It'd probably be maybe a little higher or whatever, but let's nice round numbers. So you say, I don't want to do it after a meal because I'm doing with a blood sugar of 100, so I have that sugar to supply for energy. I won't burn as much fat. Yeah. Well, what is the difference between a blood sugar of 70 and 100? Mm. 100 milligrams per deciliter, if you break that down, people, and you can do the math if anyone wants to do uh, unit conversions, uh, you, most people have about five, five to six uh, liters of blood in the body. So let's say five liters of blood. So if you have uh, 100 milligrams per deciliter with five liters, that means you have uh, five, liter, five grams of sugar in the blood. Okay. Blood sugar of okay. okay. Five grams of sugar. With it. So five times four, that's 20 calories worth of sugar. So it's like a tablespoon of barbecue sauce. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, exactly. But now let's say, what's the difference between fasted? Fasted's only 70. So that's 33, 30% less. So it's 30% less than five, four. Yeah, yeah. So it's really you know, no difference. One gram of sugar difference. But so what about, okay. So you're burning four calories of fat more by doing it faster. But wait a minute. This is also kind of one of those discussions that's kind of like the last one where there's side factors that make a big difference. Because even though we may, may not be attacking more fat stores or the blood sugar is not that different, aren't we kind of starting the body, like getting the body moving right out of bed? Isn't that going to burn more fat throughout the day? Uh, probably not. I mean, your, no. your, your epoch is roughly the same. I'll explain why I do prefer, I do fasted cardio. I ask my clients to do fasted cardio, but it's not because being fasted technically is going to burn that dramatic of a difference. It does burn a little more fat, a few yeah. calories, you know, which over the course of thousands of cardio sessions might be a pound of fat, which, you know, does, is not completely trivial, yeah. but I like to do it. Like you said, it starts your day. It kind of gives a mental boost, you know. Yeah. You, you don't, you don't. Rather than wake up and groggy and spend your first two hours slushing around preparing a meal, not getting dressed, you get up, do cardio. You're, you're you know, maybe you take some uh, caffeine or something. You're moving, yeah. you shower, and then even better, it delays that first meal. Yeah. So, yeah. so then my the rest of my meals are a little crunched together because appetite's almost always higher later in the day. So I'd rather, I'd rather be able to spread my meals. Space my meals closer later in the day when my appetite is yeah. the highest and my potential for cheating on the diet is the highest. Then, yeah. then stuff that first meal really early in the morning, do cardio at a different time, and then I'm starving all, all afternoon and I don't have meals to crunch together. Yeah. You're so right, man. Like there was, I remember, you know, when you get into it, like deep into a diet and you can't sleep. Oh, yeah. I would get like three weeks out or four weeks out and I'd be waking up at four in the morning. Yeah. And I'd be like, fuck, I can't go back to bed. I'm like, if I get up and do my cardio now, I have like, 15 hours to spread out my six meals. And yeah, imagine been, if you got up at eight meal one at four. Yeah. Then, yeah. You, then you know, by, the, by <laughs> evening, you're just dying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I remember I used to wait. I would sit there and wait and wait as long as I could. But that leads me to another question. So right now, for example, I'm, for some reason, I'm a slow mover in the morning when I get up. Mm -hmm. I'll get up at like eight. By the time I get home from my first meal, it's 11. I'll get up at eight, shower, do my whole thing, go do cardio, stretch, maybe do abs, come home. My first meal is at 11. How much damage am I doing muscle-wise by not eating for those three hours after I wake up? It's very, very, very minimal because there's still some undigested protein from the day before in your stomach. It's, we, it's very, very unlikely that as a bodybuilder eating six times a day, we're ever completely deficient in blood amino acid levels. We just aren't. Because you don't... 
you know, we ate all day yesterday. Some portion of that food is still processing, still digesting. Because, you know, it's, it doesn't just, it's not even that your stomach's empty. You know, at first it goes through the stomach and the pepsin and the acid in the stomach breaks, you know, denatures the protein, which basically just unfolds them. They're all unfolded and ready to be extracted. They go into the small intestine. Yeah. Uh, and then they get broken down to dye and tripeptides. You know, you have these big protein structures. They have to be broken down into just two or three chains before they can trickle across the, the, the small intestine and in the bloodstream. Well, that happens. I mean, you you eat a food, you don't finish shitting the last particles of that food for a couple of days, you know. So and, and because you know, it's it, even who knows how long because people go on fast. They go on a seven day fast, and it's not like they just completely stop shitting by this, you know. So seven days later, there's still some trickle going on. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. So you know, it's not so something like that in the morning. We want to spread our, you know, we want a stable blood amino acid level all the time. Now you're going to get a little bit of a dip in the morning when you're doing yeah. that stuff and not eating, but it's not like it goes to zero. Yeah. So, so I shouldn't yourself at all. Cause I get panicky about it. Cause as like, when I start my diet, I'm usually slow in the morning. And then obviously as you become more productive and more efficient through the, as you get through the diet. So like by week eight, I'm up at eight o'clock. I'm having my breakfast at nine 30 and everything's clicking along. But like, I shouldn't be stressed out about those first three hours. Cause I do every day. I'm like, fuck, I gotta get home. I gotta have breakfast. Yeah, And, I, and think about what, what you're doing when you're stressing, you're raising cortisol levels. And what does cortisol do? Eat up muscle tissue. I don't stress that hard. I'm not. I know, but I, but yeah, <laughs> I, I believe it. And that, and I, and, and honestly, probably that's a, probably a big component of why you were able to become a pro bodybuilder because people who do stress that hard mm. pr- paralyze themselves with analysis. Yeah. Paralyze themselves with analysis and, 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 cause more problems stressing about what they're could potentially be causing, which prevents them from growing. And I always say, if you notice, most pro bodybuilders are like calm, cool, collected guys. And I think that that's something that people don't really talk about because I think that's a major, major, major player why they get to where they are. Because the guys who spaz and panic and stress about everything sabotage themselves way worse than whatever they're stressing about ever could have. But it's funny you said that because that's who I, that's who I am. I shouldn't say anymore. So most of the success in my career came as I got older, Mm. like, you know, 2015, I started, I won a couple shows and I think I actually, regardless of winning or losing, because that's all show dependent on who who shows up. But I think my body actually looked the best. Yeah. I remember you were, I remember seeing you at the geared up thing. Yeah. You look really, really good. Yeah. So, but the reason I'm saying that is I, I was one of those stress cases and I remember like me and Hani, like one of the reasons me and Hani stopped working together is because he was annoyed with how like because I would get to the last week or two weeks before a show and my panic level would just slowly increase to the point where like before the show I was fucking at like 9,000 and one of the reasons me and John worked well together is just John was able always able to like just chill me out like calm me down so that cortisol thing that people talk about it's hard to measure but it's real right like we're not it's not snowballs because it's because you can't it's not it's hard to control the stress, you know? And then when you're stressing about the fact that you're stressing, it just compounds on it. But I think if you just look as a general rule, I mean, look at like someone like Ronnie or, you know, Jay, they just seem like mellow, you know, and that's, and that's a big part of the success, I think. And I always try to explain that to clients is that, you know, they always say, I want to, you know, especially peak week or final week, you know, I want to be perfect. I want to do everything perfect. And you say, wanting to make it perfect is going to ruin all of it because there is no perfect. Makes it not perfect. Yeah. 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 John, Sorry, John used to always tell me just eat and train. Yeah, it's just the last week. Just yeah. we're gonna we're gonna increase your food like a little bit every day and just eat and train and fucking relax. Yeah, 
and I think that's what kind of ended up working for me. So, um, so what I was going to ask you where, how many clients do you have on your list right now? Uh, a lot, but not so much that I don't have room for others. <laughs> I work with, cause I do, I'm, I work as a nutritionist for uh, for cardiology group for, so I work okay. with general people also. I don't work okay. with just bodybuilders. I work with yeah. a lot of IBS people, Crohn's patients, diabetics. Uh, and so I, uh, I have room for people. I, I have a full clip list, probably, probably 30% bodybuilders, 30% powerlifters, you know, a couple MMA guys, and then another 30% just kind of regular people, uh, cardiology people or, or uh, IBS type people. So can uh, you, can you help? So when a bodybuilder comes to you, you can actually help them if they say like, I have digestive issues or I have kidney issues or I have blood pressure. Oh, issues. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot, can, a, lot of, a lot of kidney stuff, uh, especially the last five or eight years, it seems like. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my original background is in you know my, my first degree is in uh, exercise science uh, with the nutrition and, and therapeutic modalities uh, uh, focus. So I, I mean, and I work for a cardiology group. I was a nutritionist for a cardiology group, so I, I have a, a, a good background in all that stuff. And I still like I like doing it. You know, I kind of consider my coaching thing to be for athletes. But like I said, probably thirty percent of them are non-athletes. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because. And, it, and I hope you don't, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I think when people hear insulin, they get scared and they yeah. might think it's, it might think it's over the top. And it might, you know, I, at least I, I always considered it like above everything else. Um, but you're able to do it. You're one of your focuses with your athletes is keeping them healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think a healthy athlete, and this might be a, a obvious question, but is a healthy athlete, a better performing athlete as far as muscle growth goes? For sure, uh, maybe not in the short term because you can because the, the effects of health pile up, and so you can abuse health early on and, and, and kind of get really rapid rates of growth. But that, that you you don't there's no cheating the system. You know there yeah. just isn't. When your health fails, uh, you, you're not going to continue to grow. And so you can push things while your health is failing. But once it gets to that point where you have uh, cardiomyopathy, you have renal failure. There's no coming back from it. Uh, and so that's what I always say. That's the biggest thing that kills me with bodybuilders is because bodybuilders are always worried about finding out their blood work or finding finding out they're not healthy, you know? Yeah. So the thing is, if you track those things, nothing is a death sentence for bodybuilding until a very deep point in unhealthiness. And so if you are paying attention to those things, you you can continue doing all the bodybuilding things with just a few variations, nothing that will slow growth if you catch signs of renal issues or heart, heart dysfunction early on. And that's uh, it, and that's that's my biggest thing. It's really just blood pressure. Keep blood pressure under control, and, and yeah. you're not going to have ninety percent of the problems bodybuilders have. I've learned I've learned that myself. It took me, like I said, to me. I've people have heard the story a million times. It took me a long time to realize I could take blood pressure medication, and it would not affect my muscle growth. Yeah, um, and some of them even uh, like some of the uh, ACE inhibitors. There's even you can find studies where they talk about the increased rate of uh, IGF one production while on really? ACE inhibitors, like Now, whether or not, I mean, it's probably not high enough to, you know, <laughs> but it's certainly not hurting, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the hostile page, I put up a Q and a yesterday and some people asked some questions. Do you mind before we go running through some of these Q and A's? Not at all. All right, let's do this. I'm going to share my screen and see what kind of questions we got here. I don't, I don't know how many we got, but let's see here. What supplements do you recommend for stomach bloating? Depends on what the, the bloating is. Uh, if it's just distension and like they're sucking in air, I would work on uh, a lot. Of, a lot of the problem you find is people chewing gum. 
uh, chewing a sugar-free gum and doing it constantly and sucking air while I do it. I've probably had 15 clients over the years with terrible stomach bloating, which is distension, that ended up just being gum. If it's okay. stomach bloating from digestion issues and you don't have IBS, uh, Miralax. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a laxative. It, it acts as like a lubricant. It's like, a, God, I can't remember what the compound is. It's one of those uh, glycerol-type compounds that kind of coats the lining of the stomach and helps, the, helps everything pass through. And so if it's bloating from that, uh, like digestion issues, I would try Miralax to start daily. If it's like gassy bloating, try it and you're chewing gum, cut the gum out. What if you, what do you do if you have IBS? And for those of you who don't know, IBS is what IBS is, irritable bowel syndrome, which comes in different forms, whether it could be constipation one week or diarrhea the next week, or just not digesting your food properly. What do you do if you get a bodybuilder that comes to you and says, I got to eat 5,000 calories a day, but I have IBS. Uh, and they're, if, they're, if they really, really want to keep bodybuilding, then we get to work right away in finding what foods we can get down and, and maintain 5,000 calories a day, which surprisingly doesn't, it usually is, there's options. So we might have to completely remove oatmeal a lot of times, or sometimes even specific brands of oatmeal will be allowed. You Almost usually the more instant versions of oatmeal, yeah. uh, cut out brown rice, and, and a lot of times they might, even plain white rice might give them an issue, but jasmine rice they could tolerate. A lot of times potatoes, peeled potatoes, uh, white potatoes, they'll, they'll be able to tolerate well. We'll look through the protein sources and sometimes like, uh, sometimes they'll, and it's, it's really weird because sometimes red meat will be fine. Other people, red meat will ruin them. And it might be the way how they're chewing, how completely they're chewing the food, but we'll remove red meat, move to more fish, more uh, turkey and more chicken breast. And we'll work through the food list. And eventually what ends up happening is you get a very restrictive food list, which yeah. sucks. But you're, if you're really good about it, you're usually able to keep up the food intake with bodybuilding. Okay. Uh, let's see what we got here. We have this guy's second question. Let's go. How would you recommend building thickness in your back? I have some width, but no detail at all. Get strong. And you got to get strong in the movements. <laughs> well, it is. Uh, and, I, and like a deadlift is a perfect example. And I'll use power lifters. There's certain movements where you can't, you don't have to worry about form because the, the only way to move the most weight is to move the right muscles. Now squat isn't that way because the way to squat more is actually to place some of the emphasis off your quads and to distribute it more to your glutes, your adductors, your hamstrings. But at deadlift, the mid-back is the primary mover. Now the hamstrings and stuff work also, but if you're pushing more load on the hamstrings, you're going to be weaker. Yeah. So the only way to get stronger on a deadlift is to use your back muscles more. And so heavy deadlifts, heavy rack pulls, heavy bent over rows, and people it cracks me up because I like a guy like Sean Smith with crazy, crazy back thickness. I'll be, be doing like these six plate one arm rows or something. Yeah. And everyone's like, Oh, it's form shit. And it's like, I know dude looks like he's like a, like a bull, a brown bull in the, you know? So yeah, that's why certain body parts where you just got to get heavy. I always tell people like, if I see somebody with like shitty form, I don't say anything. Cause I'm like, if they're fucking bigger than I am or they're big at all, I'm like, it's obviously working for them, whatever they're yeah. doing. And what is the form anyways? The point of the form, good form is good form because it's working the muscle. If their muscles are growing, whether or not the form looks right, it's working the muscle. Yeah. Um, is a bro split mostly bro? This guy's just being an, this guy's just being an asshole. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it is. And I think if you look, I think the way bodybuilding is judged. So yeah, because I don't typically use a bro split a lot of the time in my, in my off-season clients. But the way bodybuilding is currently judged is that you need uh, really large shoulders and arms. And I think it's very, very difficult to place the, the proper workload on shoulders and arms if you're not dedicating a special day to yeah. them. I think he's being a dick. Because, I agree. But, no, but, no, no. He's doing it because in the last podcast I did with Ben and James, 
I had a rant about people calling it bro split. Oh yeah. I call it that. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I use it. No, I, call it that. <laughs> I do. I do too, but it's different. Some people use it like derogatory, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, well, if the biggest guys in the world are doing it, it's gotta be something to it. Anyway. Uh, just wondering if you still use your inversion table. Yes, I do. I've got issues with bulging discs. I remember you saying it gave you relief. Uh, I use an inversion table for my bulge discs, Justin. Do you think that does anything or am I just like, is it? A no, I think it does. I think people have to be careful though if they have any subluxations uh, because when you completely remove that load, if a disc is kind of torqued a little bit yeah. and you remove the load completely, it can completely move, like slip out of place. So okay. just be careful that what you're doing it for is, is bulging or not like, not like a herniation or a, okay. well, a herniation could help, but make sure it's not like a slip disc because if it's slip disc is, if it's just slightly slip, but still locked into place, yeah. once you remove that, that tension, it can really slide out. Okay. Okay. I do it when I do my inversion table, I do it at like a, I don't know, 70 degrees. Yeah, that's perfect. It's all, it seems like anytime people have problems when they go, they try to yank it all the way. All the way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I did it, I tried to go all the way and I, my back actually hurt more yeah. the next day. Um, any news on regarding launching Canada? Yes, we're working on it. Uh, can you put Kai or Phil on the show? I don't think they'll want to come on. Uh, can you give an example of a rest pause set? What we do on that set? Uh, yeah, sure. Quickly, Justin, if you want to explain what a rest pause yeah, set is. Well, the way I do rest pause, and I think there's lots of variations. I do it basically the way Dante DC training always would be, is I pick a weight. My goal total rep range would be like 11 to 15. So I might get eight reps the first set. I'd rack it. I'd take maybe five or 10 breaths. Go again, maybe get three more reps. Rack it. Take 10 or 15 breaths. And then go maybe one or two more reps. Um, how many shows do you know? Okay. Okay, that's good. I have a question for you. Um, you've been lifting really heavy for a really long time. And I don't know why, but I can't do that. And I'm wondering what is the mechanism that allows some people to squat six plates on a regular basis for 20 years and others to not? Like, is it because you started doing that from the very beginning? Or is it I genetic? Or is it like... I think it's genetic. Uh, I, I really thick joints. I don't even you probably can't see, but like my... Yeah. my Joints are really thick. Uh, hands are fat. Just I don't like like a foot wheeler. You know, like he he could have eight arms and look thirty inches. I could have twenty two arms and almost look straight up and down. I think it's just joint, just joint, just really heavy fat. Like all my family members are really thick and heavy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've been two hundred. I mean, I was never even when I was not bodybuilding. I was always heavy, like body weight wise. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, I don't because I never did anything as far as rehab or prehab or. Yeah. Anything smart about warming up. So. Yeah. Uh, one last question before you go, and this is pretty important to me because I see too much of it. Um, is it, and, beca and I'm only asking you this because you're so detailed in your approach. Are beginners too detailed at times and they're forgetting? Always, almost always. Yeah. So is it okay for a beginner to, like, if you just told a beginner, like, if you didn't have, if you didn't have money for a coach, mm -hmm. let's say somebody comes to you, and I know it's a very long answer, but kind of just, some bullet points if somebody doesn't have money for a coach and they come to you and they're like i want to get big what is your what's kind of the thing you're going to tell them to to get them started learn to eat meat and rice learn to eat meat and rice five six times a day or meat and potatoes or protein shakes and potatoes or you know a protein yeah. and carb source five or six times a day and and there's any training routine will work if you put enough effort into it and then just do that don't yeah. overanalyze. People worry about like the, you know, the perfect meal timing or carb backloading or it's, it, you know, 90% of bodybuilding is 
you know, you can say 95%, I'll even add a couple supplements in. 95% of bodybuilding, almost up to the pro, pro level is uh, meat and rice five or six times a day. Get yourself a good pre-workout if you need it for motivation for a workout. Add an inter-workout shake, train hard, and then start cycling. Yeah. I mean, and if you you can if you do all of those really hard without stressing and overanalyzing, you can get pretty damn far. Now, once you get that far, then you got to eat the right amounts of meat and rice. But if you're not already eating those, if you're not eating six times a day, the the pro perfect protein powder isn't going to help you. You know. You're, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you think is it okay to do? How often do you, do you let your clients do protein powders? Like, can they switch them for any meal or no? Yeah, any meal they want with the, with the caveat that it's not optimal. Just know that it's not optimal. But I'd rather you have that than not have a meal. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're actually saying flat out, look, it's not as good for you, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just means it's, it's too, digest too rapidly. So let's say whey protein is practically all digested in an hour and a half. Well, yeah. we already know the kind of the maximal rate of growth is one gram of protein to turn into muscle in an hour. Yeah. So, so of that, if you had a 50 gram protein shake, only one and a half grams of that even had a chance to turn into muscle if it's digested in an hour and a half. You just want slow digesting proteins. But like you said, because of your morning thing, remember you said in the morning, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Eat? Yeah. Well, if you had a protein shake the night before, the, the likelihood that your blood amino acids are going to be down in the morning are much higher than if you ate something to digest slower. That's what really about, the only reason though. But what about post-workout? Cause that's when I would probably, and I'm not saying cause the whole post-workout window shit. I'm just saying because post-workout, I'm usually a little nauseous. Yep. That's, I, that's usually the only time I ever had one too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, is that, are we wasting that? Like, are we, should we be eating a steak instead? It, it, steak might be better, but something's better than nothing. And then, and, but you're eating six times a day. So you're never yeah. going that, you know, so you're, you're having that meal. It's not like you're waiting 10 hours to eat the next one. So even if it does digest pretty quickly, you still have that pre-workout meal. You probably had some intro, the workout before that, and then you're going to eat again really quick, not that long after it. Okay. That's the same way, especially after like a hard layer back workout. There's no way I'm going home and eating a whole steak. I just, I'm ready to puke. And so it's either yeah. eat nothing or get something down. I like that approach though. You're basically telling people like, look, it's not the greatest, but go ahead. And that's better yeah. than, better there's than always a, There's always a range of perfect or shit, you know? Yeah. I'd rather be, if you're not going to be perfect, I don't want you to go all the way to shit, you know? Have, yeah, I know. But some coaches are like black and white. Yeah. Right? And mm -hmm. that's, it's nice to have a coach that's like yeah. able to explain and tell you where the ranges of gray are. Yeah, yeah, and that's what goes back to we're not robots. You know, yeah. a lot of coaches want to treat their clients like they're robots, and that's great. And you can, and someone who's obsessed and dedicated enough can be a robot for a short period of time, but they're not going to be a robot for a 15 year career. Yeah. It just it doesn't work um, that way. Are we going to have you back on for some more nutrition talk later on, like in, oh, man, in, in, in the future? Yeah. Um, what, where can people, I know you have a couple websites. Where can people go to find your work or your, what's on the websites so, so they know? Yeah. For coaching, troponanutrition.com. If you can't remember that name, if you just search Justin Harris, bodybuilding, Justin Harris, powerlifting, Justin Harris, car cycling, it'll come up. That's my, uh, that's my main coaching website. Myoplasmic.com is a power building website I actually own with Ben Pollock. And if you can't afford private custom coaching, if you join that website, every month you get a training program and a, yep, there you go, training program and a diet program along with a full member section for less than the cost of a, yep, less than the cost of a training program. So I, I might sell a training program for $79 for $69 a month. You get a training program cheaper than the $79 plus a diet plan. And I have a whole algorithm put together where you will in the diet plans, you put your weight and estimated body mass and it outputs a diet. Now it won't be as detailed and, and adjustable as being custom, but it's the same basic diet structure. And then on top of that, you get a full, uh, a full members website with hours of video footage and articles and, and training logs and, and things like that. 
It's nice to have a coach that can outlift you. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last time you squatted? Uh, I got I need a hip replacement, so I don't squat that much. This video sucks. I was I was this I wasn't on anything here. Try one of my strong ones. <laughs> this isn't one of your strong ones. You just did no, four. I was, no, I was just cruising there. Yeah, but four, four plates for six is pretty fucking good for the average person. Well, for, that's probably the last time I squatted with my daughter, actually, but I wasn't going to. <laughs> how distracting is that? That would I actually. This is one of my most viewed videos, though. I was doing supersets of sissy squats and, uh, and squats. I tried that. You know what I did? I did the uh, Tom Platt's, uh, you know, the Tom Platt's, Tom Platt's hack squat, like sissy yeah, squat. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did those supersetted with squats, and it was a, just a mess. Yeah, it. it starts hurting quick yeah she comes here and she almost hits me in the dick i had to quit my she starts trying to walk she starts walking because the the bottom of the squat rack has that little like two by two inch bar she yeah, starts yeah. trying to use it as a balance beam oh no this yeah. is terrifying man it, it was quarantine i had no choice but to train yeah. the basement so. yeah i got it this is just great though this is like this is like a snapshot of your life yeah yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, I remember the last show I did, I remember Steve Kukla would always joke about me because I'd have to do cardio holding my, my daughter was like an infant at the time. Yeah. So I'd do cardio holding her until my back would burn so bad I couldn't take it anymore. And Are you my, serious? My, my cardio. That's awesome. Um, okay, Justin, we're going to wrap up today, but I'm sure this is probably going to drive a whole bunch of more nutrition questions. So awesome. we'll do it again, hopefully, and uh, we'll get you on to answer them. Awesome. Okay, Justin, thanks a lot, man. Have a good day, and we'll see you again soon. Awesome. Thank you. All right, brother. Bye-bye.